Hello, and welcome back to our latest installment of Eye for an Eye. We are your hosts, Julia, Lisa, and Matt, and we are here to determine whether the punishment, or lack thereof, fits the crime. Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. We're back. Eye for an iPod. Checking back with you guys. I'm your host, Matt. If you didn't know, tell them somebody. I'm here with my two lovely co-hostesses. Ladies, tell them hello, please. What's up, world? Hello, hello. Hope everybody's out there staying warm, because where we live, it's not. It's not warm at all. It's raining and snowing. It's not, it's awful. But we have an uplifting case to talk to you about today. <laughs> Just kidding. Uplifting. Just kidding. <laughs> we never do. <laughs> never we do. never do. We come to bring the real shit. Jules, you want to tell them what are we talking about? Yeah, so this week's episode, well, this week and next week, it's a two-part special series of episodes this week and i'm really excited about it it's a little bit different than our typical eye for an eye meaning that in some of the instances there is not sentencing to discuss but it's really exciting and something that's always interested me so i approached matt and lisa and i was like hey i want to talk about this so let's do it so we are talking about folly adieu which is a mental disorder affecting two or more individuals usually members of a close family so I'll give you a little bit more background, and then the way it's going to work is in today's episode, we're going to do some smaller examples of folly edu, and then in next week's episode, we're going to deep dive into like a couple of the more famous cases. So we'd love to hear your thoughts, but like I said, this is not necessarily our traditional format of an episode. This is a cool case though, though, Jules, because people can relate, and we'd love to hear from anybody who might have a firsthand experience or familiarity. I think well, that... Right. So that's what I think will be interesting because one of my sisters is 11 months older than I am. And so I feel like we definitely have things where like twins, like where twins have like weird things. Anyway, let's well, wait before we get started. Just a shout out because I don't want to forget. And I don't think we said this at the beginning. We're recording virtually again today because it's snowy out and I didn't want to drive and kill myself on the way to do so. So again, please bear with us with the audio. However, Zencaster has been good to us thus far, so I hope it continues. But just wanted to let you guys know if the clarity isn't the typical, that is why. Yes, good shout out, Lisa. We, we've been loving Zencaster, and it's really helpful in the winter, especially where we are. So let's jump in. Folly ado is a mental disorder affecting two or more individuals, usually members of a close family. It's sometimes referred to as a delusional disorder by proxy, shared psychosis or shared delusional disorder. So as this kind of was discovered, quote unquote, and learned more about it, kind of had took on some different names. Folly ado can be present in parent, offspring, sibling, sibling, husband, wife, mother, daughter, or sister, sister pairs. And those seem to be the most common that I've found in research. The first noted case of folly edu was in 1860 and it was called a folly communique and these are all french words that are probably screwing up so i apologize for that i think that was good i i tried my best and um so it was actually named by a french neurologist jules berlinger definitely messed that one up in 1877 french doctors charles lescu and jean pierre 
Bellret are the ones that actually coined the term folly agio. So there's no exact cause, and it's hard to determine because so many cases are different. Two main contributors are stress and social isolation. Symptoms can vary, but are mostly paranoid delusions. It can include bizarre and non-bizarre delusions, mood congruent delusions, which can be brought on or exaggerated by a person's mood, like an episode of mania or depression, and mood neutral delusions, which are not affected by mood, which can be bizarre and non-bizarre. So when you think about a bizarre delusion, it's something obviously that's out of the ordinary and where you can kind of step back and know it's a delusion versus a non-bizarre is like something that you're seeing that could be very realistic. Treatments can include separation of the two people who are experiencing this delusion, antipsychotics, individual and group psychotherapy, and family therapy. So that's just like a very brief overview and background for those who are not familiar with folly adieu as a mental disorder. And so we're going to talk about some cases. There's a few that we'll talk about in today's episode, and some of them have a lot more details than others, but I thought they were all really interesting to share. The first is about the yogi twins. Identical twins, Alexandria and Anastasia, owned a yoga studio in Florida. So again, we see sisters and we see twins. The girls lived together, socialized together, and often finished each other's sentences. After a reality TV project fell through, the girls descended into spirals of business failures, debts, arguments, and drunken run-ins with the law. In May of 2015, their SUV plunged off a 200-foot cliff during what was described as a hair-pulling fight over the steering wheel. So the girls were together when this happened. They had been fighting and drinking earlier on in the day. A witness told police that he heard a woman screaming in the vehicle and that the passenger was pulling both the driver's hair and the steering wheel. Anastasia was killed and Alexandria was arrested and jailed on second-degree murder charges. She was accused of deliberately causing her sister's death. During a pre-trial hearing, a judge ruled that she should be released and the case was dismissed. The case with the Yogi twins, again, is just a brief overview, but it talks, um, we see a lot of those, like the twins were all in each other's business. They lived together, they socialized together, they at one point were in business together. So their lives just kind of became intertwined in a way that took a turn for the worst. Did the judge make note of that? Does it say anywhere, Jules? That's the first question I have is like, do they mention that it's because of this? That, that I mean, that seems like a lenient sentence. I'll pull up the article and, and scan through it, but I don't remember exactly why the, the case was dismissed. It seems like it was probably two, if their car went off a 200 foot cliff, Who's really there to, uh, you know, be an eyewitness? Right. True. Is but we can look into that one further. Next, we have Margaret and Michael. And so this was the first reported case of Folly Adieu, and it involved Margaret and Michael, which I have in air quotes because the true identity of the, uh, Margaret and Michael were never determined. They were both 34 years old at the time. They believed that people were entering their house, spreading dust and fluff and wearing down their shoes. In addition, both had other symptoms supporting a diagnosis of emotional contagion, which is a spontaneous spread of emotions and related behaviors. So we see that shared psychosis. They thought people were coming into their house wearing down their shoes, which was a direct quote from the article, because I think that's such a weird thing. The Trump family, T-R-O-M-P. And this was 2000. Thanks for that distinction. I was going to yeah. say something, but thank you. Yeah. T-R-O-M-P. And this was one of the more recent cases in 2016. 
the Trump family, along with their adult children, got into a vehicle and left their property abruptly. We have the mother, who is Jacoba, the father, Mark, children, Ella, Rihanna, and Mitchell. By all accounts, the Trumps were a normal family, and so this behavior was very out of character for them. Mark Trump was suffering from a mental breakdown at the time. His family believed his delusions that people were out to harm them and that escape was necessary. It was their only choice. So they left everything, their phones, their wallets, their passport. They left their house unlocked. All of the vehicles had keys and the ignition and they were ready to go. And they just left the house. They fled in desperation, but soon got separated. On the second day of the trip, the children decided to leave the car because they were terrified about what was going to happen. Mark left the family in Bathurst, confused and bewildered, and he headed to Sydney and then back to Melbourne by train. Ella and Rihanna decided to leave and head to Goldburn, where they got separated. Rihanna was found catatonic and hiding in the back of the pickup truck. She received medical attention. Ella stole a car and headed for home. A few days later, Jacoba was discovered wandering around the small town of Yas and was taken to the hospital. Mark was eventually found near Yangorada, still trying to evade the people who he believed were trying to kill him. They all received medical and mental health care. The family eventually resumed their life on their farm and are healing from their traumatic experience. Fortunately, in this case, no one was hurt. So the, the father had this delusion that people were out to get them and it spread throughout the whole family. And they all just have these erratic behaviors. I mean, there's, there's no explanation for it. This is another example where the identities are never released. So we have a 30-year-old mother who is divorced and her eight-year-old son, and they were seen at a mental health and neurology hospital in India. The mother and son were living together and isolated from the rest of their family. The mother was exhibiting persecutory delusions against her husband and his relatives. The mom accused her husband of visiting her son while he was in school and abusing and torturing him physically. She showed the normal skin creases of her son's groin, like like kind of like your rolls, like where your skin naturally folds, and said that those were entirely scar marks formed as a result of the husband's physical abuse. She also stated that her son's kidneys had been removed by her husband and the son was having the same delusions. In a separate interview, he narrated the same story as his mother saying he showed the scars in air quotes. He said that his father regularly visited him and took him away in a jeep to assault and abuse him. Both mother and son were admitted for a detailed evaluation. Fearing additional interviews and treatment for mental illness, they escaped from the psychiatric ward and could not be located. To me, there's at least one other case, I believe, that has this similar breakdown of like a parent and a child. And to me, I have to ask, like, are they both having a delusion or do you have a child that's wanting to obey, wanting to believe, like trusting their parent? But this this did come up in, in an article I found, so I wanted to share the story. But to me, it's a little different than like two people who are adults and can form their own opinions about things. So just a side note there. Mr. and Mrs. A, again, their identities have never been released. That's all we know them as. They were both lonely young adults who met each other, fell in love, and married. They each brought their own baggage into the marriage. Mrs. A had reported having hallucinations from an early age. She heard weird noises and footsteps in her house and talked with a male voice coming from the sea. Mr. A had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia at age eight 
he reported having good demons in his head named Romanoff, the Baron, Labelle, as well as some bad demons. The couple who met through a personal ad married after knowing each other for only a week. They came to believe that one of the demons who spoke through Mr. A was the male C voice who conversed with Mrs. A earlier on in her life. For several years, the couple traveled around trying to find work and following the direction of Mr. A's demons. One of the demons told Mr. A that he would be killed in the near future and that Mrs. A would be raped. To prepare to defend themselves, the couple bought a gun. One day at a restaurant, Mr. and Mrs. A thought the two male diners were laughing at them. The couple was upset and returned to their apartment. However, the demons told them to go back to the restaurant and kill the diners who were laughing at them. They went back to the restaurant and shot and killed the two unknown happenstance people that were near them. So the demons were like, hey, they're laughing at you instead of... Right, and so the demons had told him that he was going to die soon, and so... I mean, my demons have told me some pretty messed up shit, but I don't think they've ever gone that far. Well, so that's what I think is so weird is not only does Mr. A have the demons, but they believe it's the same person that was speaking to Mrs. A, who was then obviously not a Mrs., but like earlier on in her life. This is just like the series of strange events this episode. This one, as all pet owners and check out our merch design with the pod squad of doggies because it's sweet. They're the best, and it's a great design, and it go uh, profits go to a great cause. But this is probably a do with a pet, which again, it's like I have my opinion about it, which we can discuss after. This is a short little blurb. So this is from the American Journal of Psychiatry, and they documented a case of folly a do between an 83 year old widow and her pet dog. The woman had come to the conclusion that her upstairs neighbor was moving furniture around to deliberately annoy her. This progressed to her believing that the neighbor was trying to force her to leave her home. She believed that he was attacking her and her pet with violet rays, so she made the dog an air raid shelter under the kitchen table. Whenever there was a noise coming from above, the dog would run and hide in shelter. Obviously, it was hard to determine if this was actually folly ado or the dog doing what its owner wanted it to, so that's kind of my, my take on this. It's hard to how do we psychoanalyze you know, what's happening to the dog's brain. But whatever the real motivation for it was, the dog was participating in the delusion, which probably made the widow believe it even more. So uh, to me, this is just like dogs are wonderful and they will do any crazy shit we want them to. Next is the Toolbox Killers. In 1979, Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris abducted, tortured, and murdered five teenage girls. They earned the nickname the Toolbox Killers from the variety of murder weapons that were used. Both had long criminal histories before they met at a California men's colony prison in 1977. While incarcerated, they shared twisted and sadistic fantasies involving young girls with Bittaker's desires, including murder. These shared delusions spiraled into a plan that led to their killing spree. It's hard to say if Norris would have committed murder on his own. Norris objected to killing the first victim, stating that it was Bittaker who insisted. A former FBI agent described Bittaker as the most frightening individual he had ever profiled. Other experts have identified Bittaker and Norris as a classic case of following you in which the murders likely wouldn't have happened if the two hadn't teamed up. This is a case I think we should cover further and get more details about the toolbox killers, but going into this little mini case breakdown of following you, I thought it was important to share. I'd definitely like to. That sounds very intriguing. I also... Yeah. This 
brings to mind the Criminal Minds episode, if you guys recall the episode where like the two dads, the suburban dads who like move in next door to each other. It's not exactly the same. There's no family connection. I don't know if they've even mentioned Folly Do in there, but it's like the one drives the other. And without the other, they couldn't function as like they're the symbiotic role of like partner, partner. Well, I think that's the thing is like it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, because you said it was it can be like husband and wife, too. It's just like anyone that's like close. Yeah, it's more common in twins, you said, right? But like it doesn't necessarily have to be a familiar. Right. It can be any two people. I'm thinking specifically about jail. I mean, I don't have the details of Yeah, when you're isolated. Right. The isolation. And that's an important thing because when you're isolated and you can't form a concept of what reality is, you kind of create your own. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's the bigger contributor, I guess you could say. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This next case is actually about three sisters, and they are from South Carolina. And the girls seemingly had a normal childhood, but their lives became entangled as adults, and they spent all their time together. That's exactly what we were just talking about. The girls became increasingly concerned that their mother, who suffered from mental illness, is going to hurt the children of one of the sisters. So they also had a preoccupation with religion, which I think is important to note, because sometimes... People who are like super into religion have a hard time separating like their religious beliefs and the real world. Sorry, and that might be controversial. So the girls stopped sleeping and they became convinced that God was communicating with them. When the husband of one of the sisters tried to put a stop to them living in the same house, so all the sisters were living together, the woman put on their pajamas, took the children, and drove to a house that they believed God had given them so that they could all live together. They forced their way into the house, attacking the residents of the home and the police officers who were eventually called because why are you breaking into someone's house? Because God told you to. The sisters were charged with multiple offenses and put in a cell together. In their cells, they took off all their clothes, refused to clean themselves, and performed religious rituals. They attacked anyone who had come through the door of the cell none of the sisters had a previous criminal record and they're no longer allowed to live near each other or visit without supervision it makes you wonder how that was allowed well right so that's why i was laughing when not that they took off all their clothes but that they were in their cell together like exactly this this was their breakdown for lack of a better term was probably prompted by the isolation Maybe I'm immature, but I laugh that they took off all their clothes. <laughs> it's just <laughs> bizarre. Like, what are we going to do? Like, fuck it. Let's get naked. You know? Yeah. They can't stop us. Yeah. So next we have Pauline and Juliet. And so Paul, Pauline Parker and Juliet Palm were 15-year-old girls from New Zealand. The pair was obsessed with each other. So this is a case of just friends. They lived out elaborate fantasies and dreamed of becoming Hollywood actresses and novelists. Their parents became worried about their codependent relationship and wanted them to separate, especially after Pauline's psychiatrist told her parents that she was having a sexual relationship with Juliet. When Juliet's parents divorced, Juliet was 
going to leave New Zealand with her father. The girls wanted Pauline to move with Juliet, but the parents refused. In 1954, Pauline's mother took the two girls on an outing, and the girls brutally murdered her. The girls' plea of insanity did not hold up. They were sent to prison, and they assumed different identities and departed ways. Years later, Juliet stated that she only took part in the murder so that Pauline would not kill herself if they were separated. Again, this is just, like, codependency, but, like, also going too far. So, Slenderman, which is a case that has we have covered before as I Per Night podcast, so check that out for a more deep dive. But Morgan and Anissa stabbed their classmate Peyton as a sacrifice to the fictional horror character Slenderman. The two were stated to be acting in a shared psychosis. And so, oh, episode 16, I even put that in my notes. Episode 16, we do a deep dive of Slenderman, so go check that out specifically. But it is said that Morgan and Anissa were acting in a shared psychosis. And that's in its truest form, like what Folly Do is. And, you know, the relationship trends are, you know, interesting to note, but like it can be friends. And in those two back to back, it's like young girls. Yeah. That's that's what's catching me up, Jules. Is like especially like young kids, like you. It's like yeah, and and what I said at the top of the show, it's like sister and sister and sister and mother or something like that are like the most common combinations that you'll see. So we have sisters in this next one. Quick question: I I, I just want to throw this out there. Does it apply in the same? And I guess this would be a question we should probably consider asking like or a, i should say a psychiatrist or psychologist does mob mentality kind of mirror mimic folly you do in it and like just in its essence of like if you get enough people in that same mindset even if it is something that takes place very quickly is it is it that same type of like trigger that the, it might the, be like a smaller scale of mom mentality yeah you know? like you kind of open up to someone about something and they're like oh yeah like you know they have the same like i'm thinking about the toolbox killers like right they bonded over a bizarre fantasy or thought that they had and it kind of like spirals from there that's what makes me think about slender man too is they kind of became yeah. well it makes you think about cults as well kind of like that shared delusion we talk about a cult before that Ooh, let's do it yeah. it's it's very interesting but first let's talk about the silent twins the sisters june and jennifer gibbons were the only black girls in their small welsh town they felt ostracized at a very early age and spoke only to each other so we have that isolation that we were talking about the girls kept journals full of individual feelings of being tormented by each other and expressed desires to gain independence by killing off the other sister. The twins took up crime, theft and arson, because as June, one of the sisters wrote, no friends, nothing else to do, nothing to fill the cold hour. So they were kind of bored and stumbled into, you know, petty crimes. Eventually, the girls started acting on their fantasies of hurting each other. Jennifer strangled June with a telephone cord, and June tried to drown Jennifer in a river. They remained inseparable and later forgave each other for their transgressions. So it was like, again, a codependence crossing many lines. When they were caught burning down a barn, they were diagnosed as psychopaths and sent to a psychiatric hospital. When they turned 29, the girls made a pact that one of them had to die for the other to survive. On the day of their release from the psychiatric hospital, Jennifer suddenly died due to an inflammation of her heart. The exact cause remains unknown. 
I will say, so I've heard of the folia dupe cases for a while. There's three cases, that being one of them. And then the Yogi Twins is another one. And then I think you're going to touch on the last one later that I really like spiraled me downward with these a while ago. The one that you just talked about with June and Jennifer is the craziest. I found a documentary. I don't know. In my brain, it didn't seem like it was real, but I'm almost 100% positive it's one of the twins or maybe even both of them at the same time. And the way they interact with each other, because they're like silent. The one stays completely silent and the other one like speaks for them was the creepiest thing I think I've ever watched in my whole entire life. I love to watch that, so make sure you add it to our list. I will. I'll add it to, I'll have to find it because it was the weirdest thing in the world. And like these cases, we'll obviously discuss it, but they really make you think, is it a shared psychosis? Is it something different? It's hard, I think, to fathom any type of psychosis if you haven't gone through that. And then to, on top of that, imagine it being shared, like the three of us spending a lot of time together or so much time together that we start believing the same delusion. Well, I mean, think about it in, in a different but similar sense, like the cabin fever, right? Like yeah. In the height of the pandemic where like you are with the people in your little bubble and that is it. So I get it's it's kind of like you lose touch with reality being isolated. And I wanted to say this as well, Lisa, because I know that I'm doing like a very basic overview of some of these cases. Some of them just truly did not have a lot of detail. Toolbox Killers is one I would love to cover further. And then the Silent Twins, I'm just doing a brief overview to kind of touch upon the concept of folly do, but it is an interesting concept. We'll, we'll definitely look into diving into a lot of these more because yeah. and they're very, very creepy. <laughs> they're creepy. They're creepy. And I just want to point that out. I know they're there's more details and there's more cases. I have one more that we'll just do a brief overview of. And then the next episode, we'll talk about two that are probably the most well-known. I'm sure there are probably dozens of cases like this that people haven't even pointed out as having folly ado characteristics where it's like, I mean, multiple people, maybe even, you know, two people. Well, that's what I think is hard. Like, where do you cross the line? When is something like mob mentality? We need it? to find like a psychiatrist. That like specializes in this to come on the show because it'd be so fascinating. I will figure it out. If you're listening, listening, let us know because we are very curious. Yeah, I would love, I would love to. I told, I've said this before, I would love to study what happens to our brains when we black out. And I would love to study like strange mental things like this because they're scary and creepy but they're also very very fascinating like how does it how does it actually work in regards to cults we are going to talk about the survivalist cult in the 1980s on a remote farm in nebraska white supremacist michael ryan led a survivalist cult whose followers included his own teenage son dennis michael believed he heard the word of god he spread doomsday prophecies and instructed his followers to reject established government he warned of heinous punishments if they didn't comply his warnings culminated in the torture and killing of five-year-old Luke Stice, another cult member's son, and fellow cult member James Thim. Dennis, who is the son of Michael, the cult the leader, Dennis, on his father's orders, delivered the gunshot that killed Thim. Dennis's attorney believed Dennis was a killer, but stated his client was mentally ill. He recalled Dennis as being frightened, confused, and not very communicative. He also seemed younger than his actual age, which is, I 
I wonder how the timeline, and again, this is an overview, and I don't know if I had these details and left them out, but I feel like I wouldn't have. I wonder how old Dennis was when he got into this, because that's kind of what I was saying earlier, being in something, you lose touch with reality at a certain point. So if he grew up in this cult, and it's interesting that they noted that he seemed so much younger than he actually was. Dennis's attorney was quoted as saying that Dennis seemed totally under the control of his father when he first met a psychiatrist who served as an expert witness for the defense diagnosed Dennis with folly adieu in connection with his father. He noted that Michael yielded a powerful influence over his son's life. The argument was Dennis had been brainwashed into his father's bizarre belief system. So that kind of stems off a whole other thing. Like you were saying that mom mentality are all cults really just like a aspect of follow you do or like one word the same yeah right does do and implies two people but i don't know so what do you do you guys have any thoughts about these cases before we move on they blow my brain up it's so no. it's i think it's one of those concepts that's hard to conceptualize because we've never experienced in it it makes you wonder if it's like a tried and true diagnosis why didn't we look into that for a lot of other cases? And that's what I'm saying. Like, where's the line? In that case, how do you, is there like an alpha and a beta, right? Like with the twins, for the most part, both, all, almost all the twin cases that have fully ado, there was reported that one was like the more dominant one that made the decisions. And one was the one that like sat kind of back and followed along yeah. and just like went with it. So it, it makes you wonder, especially if it's not just with siblings. If this really is more to blame for other cases than we know. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, where is the line actually drawn? Because it's hard to say if we all went out and committed a crime, is it folly and you or are we all just criminals? You know, I don't know. That's. Or are we like I love that. friends who like decided like we're going to do. I mean, you know what case keeps popping into my mind with every one of these? It just and, and it's because of the condition of their life that they found this companionship but without each other and without having lived in the same place where this happened is columbine eric harris and dylan klebold like everybody talked about like they were the weird kids you know like everybody knew them and they were the weird kids and they always like you know did their own thing dressed in all black were they isolated from their church because yeah that's how it's saying that's yeah were they, I, were they, were they put into that box where they were like, I don't really have any other outlet except this guy. And they said that, like, I think it was, I think it was Eric Harris who was the one that was like really driven and like was the motivated one to like, let's make something happen. Let's make the earth shake. And they said Dylan Klebold was kind of like more of a recluse, but a pure psychopath would have taken hold of whatever opportunity to create havoc he could have. So I'm thinking like the perfect storm of those two guys meeting. It sounds like that. Right. And I just read one of the big, big, because it took me forever, books about Columbine. And I, I always mix up, but you're right. Like there, there was an alpha and there was a beta. And they said that whoever the beta was. I think it was Dylan. I'm like pretty sure it was Eric who was the one. I think you're right, but I'm not certain. They said that he was more likely to have caused harm to himself than to do it outwardly, but yes, yeah, the influence of the other one that was kind of like, well, okay. There's somebody else that agrees with me and maybe that makes sense to them. 
because it makes sense or maybe it makes sense to me because it makes sense to them i should say i don't, I don't know. know that's why i think is so interesting about something like this is like it really is yeah how can you really say you know i said this was a basic rundown and make sure you tune in for next week's episode part two of folly adieu because we are going to do <laughs> we are going to do a deep dive into some of the more or two of the more, I would say, popular cases when you look into Fall Into, and they are mind-boggling. The footage, I remember I watched when I was writing the episode, I watched the one YouTube video, like, multiple times because it's incredibly strange, I guess is the best way to say it. So, tune in. Yeah, tune in. Let us know your thoughts about Fall Into, some of the cases we talked about today, and then... Make sure you check next week out because it's going to be wild. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends, tell your family because nothing helps our show out more than the word of mouth. And y'all do it the best. Check out the merch. Check out the Patreon too, y'all. Like, give us some love, man. Yeah, we have some great merch. I'm about to load up soon because I get paid soon. I'm about to shower myself in merch. My problem with merch is I can never decide what I want. I really, anything you can think of in like a a t-shirt. And then not even a t-shirt. We have like 65 different types of t-shirts. Right. So the decisions are hard. We understand them. Just make them and come support our show. But we will see you over on part two of the Folie Adieu. Folie Adieu part two. Bye. Holla. Thank you.